This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. It is snowy weather in Chicago, but we're able to get through it all. And um, uh, with the pandemic in 2020, it seemed like things were a little bit easier working with employers and employees on a virtual presence instead of worrying about who's going to get trapped in the snow this year. But it is Chicago where people don't know how to drive anyways. And um, here we are. More updates on the horizon with uh, the transparency of pricing with healthcare providers I figure I'd give you a lowdown and then I'll go through the Biden administration updates and then some other future trends coming up. So with transparency, pricing started in January 2021 and there were some things back in in, uh, even just previous years that there was more transparency. They're having some issues with some of the formatting and you may not have access to full pricing, but there may some be some issues, but I also want to just walk through that you may start seeing some of this menu board stuff of what disclosures you're going to start realizing there's some price difference between the couple and I have a couple examples here in a moment. All the providers have, um, and they have this master list. I think uh, believe the industry calls it uh, the charge master. It's already available. It's out there. They're just having issues to put it in the consumer version. They want it in a downloadable format. It's not quite there yet, but you, you'll see some other providers start disclosing some of the pricing. This is healthy and good for the industry, even though there's been arguments within uh, the provider sector that claims that this is actually going to increase pricing versus decrease pricing. I don't know what other sector that discloses pricing and the pricing actually goes up because of competition it blows me away but that's what the excuses are coming from the competitors the other concern that they have by publishing the pricing models and uh, for services and procedures is that everything is subject to change based on insurance which goes back to my argument about contracts Um, there's contracts provide that insurance companies provide to providers based on a reimbursement level and everybody can have different reimbursement models Uh, if you went to one major hospital system versus another and it could be the exact same insurance company they can have two separate reimbursement schedules i don't necessarily agree with that to you know to a certain degree i i think it should be close in um, proximity because it's kind of like shopping for repairs on your car if you call three different mechanics you may have three different pricing but they're all going to be in the same ballpark. In the healthcare world, if you called and actually got three different pricings, they're going to be all over the map. And it's unfortunate because uh, you're the consumer, you're responsible for the bill at the end of the day, either through an insurance premium outlet or uh, an out-of-pocket claim. But I, I, I do think transparency is going to be a key. Uh, it pays dividends in a lot of ways. Because you become a smarter consumer in the healthcare world. And so this will be good once they start rolling out. But in the meantime, I would encourage you just to keep asking for the pricing. So even if insurance is paying for it, ask them. So you have a better gauge on what healthcare really costs. You might um, then turn to perceived value with your insurance and that'll go up because you're paying all these premiums and now you know exactly what you're getting out of it or what you're not getting out of it. In some cases, especially at the pharmacy, it's cheaper to pay cash for a generic drug than it is to use the insurance. So you just have to be a smart consumer. But with the pharmacy example, there are some pharmacies that won't let you pay the cash price 
if you have insurance. There's no regulation on this. Um, one of these days, I'm going to invite um, a guy that uh, works with pharmaceutical meds a lot more than I do, and uh, he'll give a lot more insight on some of the ins and outs of this. But but yes, there are some chains out there that will not give you their cash pricing if they know you have insurance because you're not the actual customer on the other side of the counter. The insurance company is the real customer because they're paying majority of those claims. But so a couple examples on price transparency and some things you'll start to notice. In a study I was reading, it talked about an MRI in California versus Florida, for example. In California, that MRI average cost was $853. Uh, in uh, Florida, Orlando, Florida, um, specifically, it was $349. And so that's that's um, exactly $504. I don't know how much it costs to get an airplane ride and a quick hotel stay in Florida, but I'm sure there's people who might say that $500, either they could pocket it and then go buy, get on an airplane and extend it weekend and get an MRI done in another state. But there, it may cross some people's minds. People have been doing this with worldwide healthcare, where they might find that uh, certain places throughout the world have better procedures or techniques related to practices in a given area, and it's cheaper to get on an airplane, uh, fly over there, get into a hotel, have all these procedures done, and fly back, and you're still ahead of the game compared to the true cost here in the United States. I think it's just because bigger purses never audited the bill, and they didn't care because third party, meaning us, were indirectly paying that bill. Uh, so they didn't care. And I think that's why insurance companies really have lack of leverage, despite what they say about policyholders um, and then negotiating with providers. Providers are the ones that really hold the keys in all this. But I'm not saying they're the victim. I just think that the system just built on itself. Another example is a hip replacement in Houston, Texas, only was a price range and it was all over the map. And I'll give you a Chicago example here in a moment. So that hip replacement was about twenty between $28,000 and $45,000 for that surgery. It could be because of the area that it's in. And, of course, hip replacement's not a small deal like an MRI or a smaller deal. MRIs are pretty big, too. But in the Chicago area, there was a client of mine. This is many, many, many moons ago, way before the Affordable Care Act. They wanted to be a smart consumer. We had some conversations. Uh, they needed a hernia surgery. They were shopping two Southside hospitals completely independent from each other. It coincidentally ended up having the same exact surgeon, and the same surgeon would either uh, do it at one hospital or the other of the choice um, of the patient. And what they had found out that it's the exact same procedure, same surgeon, and was a roughly $10,000 difference between the two hospitals. And the two hospitals are maybe less than 10 miles apart. Um, it's probably closer to five miles. And so... There's a huge difference and there's going to be price ranges, but I think people need to start knowing this because, you know, the scare factor of what healthcare costs and what, what it should be are two different things. Another example of price differences is um, maternity coverage. Years ago, you could actually opt out on maternity coverage, even on a group platform, uh, group employer sponsored, but on the individual market for sure, you could either opt in or opt out. There was a fee for it. There was waiting periods. They needed to collect enough cash to help pay for those, some of those expenses. But maternity only covered for prenatal care, not the actual, if there was a complication that occurred, your major medical did. So if you had did not add maternity, your major medical covered any complications at birth. You just play, paid for everything all the way up until a normal delivery. 
If you called the hospital, they would say, oh, well, pregnancies and deliveries may cost uh, 25 to 40 grand. And that's the retail price because even after they discount it, it's usually between 10 and 15,000 anyways. But most of the time, if you tell them you're paying cash for that, it's probably between five and 10,000, which is the amount of your deductible, but you didn't have to pay the premium back in the day for the maternity coverage. And so by knowing some of the pricing and what you could do, it gives you a little bit more leverage and um, shopping. That's why I think the excuse of this uh, displaying pricing will increase costs uh, because c competitors could see what other people are pricing and they, uh, people can keep increasing costs. I don't see that. I, I'm sure they have data that proves that, but please tell me some other markets that you disclose pricing and the pricing went up versus down. It, it's going to be an interesting layout, but uh, those are some of the updates, and, um, but there's some delays with it, but you'll start seeing some pricing uh, when you have uh, try to get access to care. The Biden administration, I got a couple updates. Um, they have uh, He's obviously doing away with things in the last seven days. There's a lot of changes he's trying to make. We're not going to get into politics uh, necessarily, but I want to talk about the healthcare uh, side of things. The only thing he's talked about on a big front is talking about opening up the exchanges, uh, which is the individual and family coverage when you purchase it on your own for a new open enrollment period due to the pandemic. I'm not sure if this, is, this will make any difference or not. The Trump administration decided against it. They uh, resisted doing something like this. The Trump administration resisted because if you lost your job and lost coverage, you have a qualifying event anyways. So you could choose your insurance at that point. Most people do um, start electing coverage. At the same time, most people are offered COBRA, or if you're a small employer, it's called um, continuation of coverage in the state of Illinois. It's called Illinois continuation. It's similar to the COBRA regulations. And so you have an option to choose in COBRA or you have an option to have a qualifying event and purchase uh, an individual or family plan. If your income had dropped through the floor for given reasons of losing your employment, you may qualify for Medicaid at that point in time. And so especially with the Medicaid expansion and having more providers related to Medicaid, it is an option for you at that time. Those are big reasons why the Trump administration resisted. You have opportunities to go ahead and purchase your plan. I know with employer plans, they were allowing furlough employees to get on and off the plan, depending on what the situation. I still think that there was some leeway with that even prior to the pandemic, but um, we've had it with our employers where we've had, they told us there were exceptions, but I, I still think that there was a lot of leeway of employees getting furloughed and then coming back or getting laid off or they quit and then they came back and they can get back on the plan because of the time frame that was there. I think a lot of it comes down to just personal responsibility. Uh, just because you decide to delay it because you were afraid of the cost, you were afraid of change or you're hoping to get a new job in time, whatever it might have been. I just think that people need to take more responsibility and by extending some or providing more opportunity doesn't change a whole lot. Uh, when the Affordable Care Act was first rolling out, they kept extending the deadlines on when you could actually enroll. And uh, the first time they kept extending it while the open enrollment was going on. And all it did is delay a deadline for urgency. There were still the same people that would have waited until the last day of open enrollment in order to make a final decision because that's how they operate. So whether that open enrollment ended December 15th like it did or opened back up and ended March 31st. It doesn't really make a difference. People are going to procrastinate. 
not to get into politics, I do think he's doing it for political reasons more so than the people, even though, yes, do people need help? Yes. And every situation is going to be a little bit different. Yes. But every situation is going to be different anyways, and you may still get access to insurance based on the current guidelines anyways. And so I just think that um, it's not going to make the advocate an impact, but it's on the forefront. Keep in mind that it may be occurring. Um, there, it's talk. There's a lot of hot, heavy talk about it. I don't have any dates at this moment in time. I think it's going to be coming up soon. If you need any help with that, give us a call in our office and we'll help you out. Are you a CFO, HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year? out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. Over the last few years, the CFOs of organizations, including some outsourced CPA firms uh, or fractional CPAs, CFOs, have been getting more involved in the healthcare plan designs and cost control measures. This is an upward trend. It's going to be a little bit more. Uh, that is a lot of the conversations we have today are the ones we are controlling the finances of the company. Most CFOs inside of a company, if there's any expense inside the company that's out of line or could be out of line, the CFO usually gets involved and they take certain measures to actually break that down. In healthcare, though, they leave uh, one of the largest expenses for the company up to the HR director. So many HR directors are really middle management. They're not necessarily executive level, and they could be, but they're usually middle management because they have some element of authority because they're managing an employee base, but not necessarily overall control of the whole company. A lot of times the employer will delegate the responsibility of the healthcare plan to the HR director. And so they're essentially delegating a, um, a budget that could be a multi-millions of dollars a year, depending on what your premiums are. It could just be a hundred, hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands too. But um, in a lot of cases, these mid-sized companies in Chicago are spending in the millions. And so overall on an annual basis, and you're delegating that to middle management to have control of, over. And there's um, a lot of times less uh, urgency. They may put bonuses in place or some other performance-based models to have control of it. But it's overall controlled by somebody that doesn't look like and look at the overall financials. And so more and more CFOs are, are, are being joined into meetings. And uh, this is definitely an upward trend. They predict in the next few years coming up that only 11% of the, these plan designs and cost control measures will be controlled by the HR itself. So if you're working for a small or mid-sized company, uh, you need to get that your finance guy in the office. If you don't have an internal CFO, it's whoever your CPA firm and whoever's doing your bookkeeping and managing and controlling some of that cost for the entire company. They need to be in the room. They don't need to know healthcare. 
They don't need to know about plan designs. They need to start being in the room so they can start challenging things from the financial uh, standpoint. Um, because it is the biggest expenditure on what they call the uh, EBITDA. I've, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and uh, amortization. So this is the biggest expense there, and we need to have control over it. How do you do it without having somebody that understands financing a little bit more and pull that control? Financing and plan designs are different, but they are indirectly related. They need to start being in part of that meeting so they could have that conversation and challenge the status quo and challenge certain things and look at more details because everything's prepackaged in a general health plan. There's mid-sized companies on a fully insured platform and all they get is an invoice and the number of employees and maybe broken down by how many employee onlys and how many employee spouses uh, and how many employee children, how many employee family, uh, and then how many people enrolled in dental and vision and, and whatnot. And so they may get some detail, but they don't know where the true cost internally on that. And a lot of brokers are just as blind as uh, the CFOs or the companies are and just handing them and saying, hey, this is it. We, we went back to the carrier, we beat them up, and they knocked it down another 3%. And the, the broker is a hero for the day because even though your premiums are still up 10% from the previous year, it's just not 13%, it's 10%. And so I also believe that there's more transparency as far as what you're paying for inside the plan. And so there's platforms and plan designs you could, you're able to make more decisions based on those cost measures, but you have to be able to see them including the broker expense. And I'm only going to touch base on this. We, we all uh, are in the business of making money, but there are some plans out there that employers are paying a chunk of money and they're not getting the value back on their return. And so uh, you might be surprised that your broker is getting paid 15000 a year, 20000 even in some cases 50000 They have staff to pay for. You have turnovers. You have programs that they're providing to you. You have technology, all the stuff that goes into that makes it well worth those commissions. But uh, you may need to challenge the status quo because if you were actually writing a physical check for some of those, because I think you know some of those brokers and insurance agents out uh, agencies out there making fifty thousand dollars a year on your account is deserving of their money, hundred percent. In fact, there might be cases where they're underpaid, but. Uh, you need to know what they're putting into, what you're getting out of it, because if you were getting an invoice for that, you would want it itemized as well. What are they getting uh, for your uh, services that you're promising throughout the 12-month period that you have the policy? Just a quick side note, um, I don't know him personally, but there's a there's a guy by the name of Steve Watson out of Phoenix, Arizona. He's a CPA. He has a uh, podcast called the Trend Breakers Podcast. I have not met him personally. I've listened to a number of his podcasts. I just wanted to give a shout out. He is very active in the space of reaching out to CFOs and helping them control the cost. He's helping our industry and in creating more disclosure on these financial line, uh, line items for CFOs and business owners so that we can have a better trend going forward. If the 
change is not going to come from Washington, which most likely not. It's got to come from within the industry. And so just a quick shout out to him. Uh, I appreciate what he's doing. He's on a mission to help more and more businesses uh, as a CFO, CPA type. And so so here we are coming up to the end of January. Uh, most people in Chicago or most business owners in Chicago or employers have ended their open enrollments. They're cleaning up the mess. The HR probably has only one or two more items to finalize on their desk. Uh, I know we do. Um, but we're, we're, it's about clear. We're about done with even February renewals and even March. But what, there, what are some things you could do right now? I mean, the first thing, call your broker, especially if you did not hear from the open enrollment. A lot of small employers under 50 employees, a lot of brokers ghost their renewals. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, there's so many people to communicate with, and there's so many issues that come in during the open enrollment. Uh, so I don't want to just throw them under the bus because we're just as guilty at times too. But if you haven't heard from them, give them a call, see what's going on, see what trends are coming up, have that conversation with them. Start now. Yes, the open enrollment's not until the fall, but start now because there's timelines involved that you need to um, set your benefits package into a different trend if that's what you're looking for. Then you need to walk through some things, even shop the plans now, even off renewal, just to go through and not have that pressure of a deadline to have open enrollment start. Yes, it's off cycle. Yes, your broker is going to work for it. But uh, go through that process so that you have less um, ur- less urgency, less anxiety to try to figure out what you're going to do for your plan. You could put the whole thing and put it on the shelf. And if not, call and get a second opinion. There, another broker is going to try to earn that business. Make sure you get two or three options. But there's a lot in the time. So start meeting with vendors, start looking at options, whether it's wellness benefits, HSA benefits, FSA, administration. Make sure you get your documents up to the speed, such as your wrap, wrap document or your pre-tax document. A lot of those can be automatically taken care of already, but you may need to go through a list to make sure that those are there. Right now would be a good time to start talking about technology platforms. If you're not on board with any now, that conversation needs to start with your broker. Call your broker, and if they don't have these resources or they're trying to talk you out of it, I would start making a second phone call. Um, we're, we're glad to help, but uh, just start looking around too um, because brokers get lazy, especially during this time of the year. They don't want to do a whole lot, but this is the perfect time. They have time. They can put things together and have more time on their side to actually do a good job. And so... Those are some of the things you should do now because I think you need to have um, a good handle on who you're going to work with, how you're going to work with them, even plan design or ideas or just from a 30,000-foot overview by June. And then as we get closer to September, it's got to pull down and uh, be under 10,000-foot overview. And then that way when you go into open enrollment, uh, you have less anxiety. The shopping's already out of the way. You have the people in place. You have the open enrollment process, maybe the technology piece that you haven't had before. So right now is the time to start putting those on the calendar, especially in a virtual setting. You don't. Have, it's not like somebody's going to come in your office or you're going to somebody else's office. A lot of times these are done virtually. Just schedule them, get them done. Um, it's a great opportunity, uh, less stress for all of us, including the broker uh, channel as well. So start doing some research, start doing some homework. Feel free to call our office. We're, we'll be glad uh, with no obligation to review anything you have or respond to any questions you might have. That's it for... ZMAR podcast this week. Stay warm out there, stay healthy, and we'll see you next week.